This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Really good to see all of you here. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you that we can return to the book of 2 Samuel, and we just pray that you will guide us as we go through the life of David and to see how it applies to us today. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the U.S. presidential elections are on November the 8th, which is just nine days away. And I've been following the elections closely. I'm sure that many people have uh, at least are aware that the elections are happening. And if you read the newspapers, if you go through the internet, or even if you watch the debates on television, you can ask yourself the question, what are the qualities of the two candidates? Uh, How would you describe them and how would they describe themselves? Uh, How would their own parties seek to describe them? Maybe they describe themselves as strong or smart, uh, experienced, shrewd, independent, trustworthy, winners, good negotiators. Now one thing that I've never ever come across in any internet article, newspaper article, commentator on television is to say that they are kind. In fact, I've never ever heard it used to describe any aspiring political candidate that they're a very kind person, Uh, that such and such a person is very kind. It's almost as if kindness is seen as a weakness, as a negative to being an effective leader. But if you look at today's passage in 1 Samuel chapter 9, the very first thing that we learn about David, King David, is kindness. Because in verse 1 it says, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom... I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, as we've been going through, and if you're aware of what's been happening, this would be a great surprise, a great shock, and something completely unexpected. Because why would King David want to show kindness, and kindness to the house of Saul of all people? You see, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, which is like 20 chapters ago, David had been anointed king. And God had said that David would rule as king. So in 1 Samuel sorry, chapter 16, uh, way, way back, we did this a couple of years ago, it said, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn King Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fool your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to, the, to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and Samuel went to Ramah. So when we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 16, what would we have expected? Seeing that God, through Samuel, had anointed David as king, we would have expected David to be king fairly soon, very, very soon. But the reality was that in history, it took decades for David to become king. Because As we read from 1 Samuel 16 onwards, King Saul, the encumbered king, refused to give up his kingship, even though he knew that God had left him and had come upon King David. And instead of giving up his kingship, King Saul did the very opposite. From that moment on, over and over and over again, he tried to kill David. And it was so bad that David had to abandon his wife, abandon his country, flee into exile and live with the enemies of Israel. So 1 Samuel chapter 16 to 31, King Saul tries to kill David, 
In 1 Samuel chapter 31, King Saul dies. In 2 Samuel chapter 1 to 4, King Saul's son, Ishbosheth, takes over his father's throne, and he too tries to defeat David and kill David. 18 chapters worth of trying to kill David. So when you think of the house of Saul, when you think of the King Saul and his family, it's like thinking of a deadly enemy, an enemy opposed to David for decades. Now I want you to think about that for a second, right? Imagine if someone is really out to get you, and uh, they're out to get you to the extent where they want to murder you and kill you. Uh, That would really get under your skin, I think. But imagine if that person continue to do that for decades, and not just them, but their family continue to do that even after the, the chief perpetrator dies. I mean, that would really, really get under my skin. I don't know about yours. And the last thing you want to do is show them kindness. But that's exactly what David is going to do here. He says that he wants to show them kindness. And again, this is completely beyond the expectation of any king. You see, in Israel, in ancient Rome, in ancient Greece, the common practice was... When you became king, and this is recorded all through history, what do you do? You kill all your brothers and sisters so that nobody has a legitimate claim on your kingship. You just have to look at the history of England or Rome or Greece. This is what many, many people do. You don't even need for people to want to kill you. Once you're king, you get rid of all your rivals. So for David to want to show kindness is just something beyond the realm of logic. But it goes on, isn't it? Because in the passage it says that he wants to show kindness for Jonathan's sake, in verse 1. Now why did David want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake? See, David didn't wake up one morning and he had a particularly good breakfast and he felt good about himself, so he wanted to do a good deed, you know, pay it forward. No, he, he wanted to show kindness to the house of Saul for Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was King Saul's son, but he was also David's friend. And he helped David, and in 1 Samuel chapter 20, which is the pivotal passage that we did our responsive reading on, Jonathan and David make a promise. And this is the promise, we will repeat uh, the promise because the words are very important here. It's 1 Samuel chapter 20 up on the slide. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But, and this is the key word here, show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my head, from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had reaffirmed, had, sorry, had David reaffirmed his oath out of love for him, because he loved him, as he loved himself. Two things to note here is that the word kindness is not a generic kindness. It's not the honorary run-of-the-mill kindness. You know, it's not the, the kindness that you show when you're eating at the hawker center 
and then the, the the old man or the lady with the tissue papers comes to sell you one packet for one dollars and you you feel a bit kind that day so you give them a dollar for the tissue paper or you know you're going to the mrt and you see that blind man playing the musical instrument and you feel kind for the day and you put some money into his uh tin no the kindness which is referred to here is the the hebrew word has said which is the idea of God's kindness, an extraordinary kindness or love, which is characteristic of God himself. This is the kindness that David had in mind that he wanted to show the house of Saul. So if you go to chapter 9 again, look at what it says in verse 3. The king asked the same question, Is there still no one left alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? So the kindness in view in chapter 9 is not an ordinary kindness, but it is extraordinary kindness which is a characteristic of God. And this is the kindness that David wants to show the house of Saul. And the reason why he wants to show it is because of the covenant or oath that he made with Jonathan. Now the word covenant is a very important word in the Bible. It is the understanding of a binding unbreakable, permanent obligation or commitment. It's not a run-of-the-mill promise. It is the promise of the highest order, which cannot be broken or cannot be avoided, no matter what the circumstances change, no matter how time has gone by. And that's why David says that he wants to remember this promise or covenant to Jonathan, even though decades have gone by since 1 Samuel chapter 20. So let's look at what it says there in verse 3 onwards to see how this kindness is played out. So, he speaks to Ziba, who used to be of the household of Saul. And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, in Lo-Debar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekur, son of Emil. Now, I think this uh, sentence here, this reply, this interjection by Ziba is actually important. Now, why does Ziba not just say that there is a son called Mophibosheth? Why does he answer in such an elusive and roundabout way, there is a son of Jonathan? And he is lame. Because that's not really the answer that we are looking for. And that's not really the answer that David is looking for. I think part of it is because we as the audience, we as as the people reading the Bible, we know 1 Samuel 20 and we know of the covenant between Jonathan and David. But Ziba, he doesn't know of the covenant between David and Jonathan. So what does he do? He He's suspicious. Like I said before, it's not logical for David to show kindness to the house of Saul. So he says two things, which I think would, in a sense, appeal to David's mercy. One is that this is the son of Jonathan, not just the son or the grandson of Saul. Because he knows that Jonathan was a close friend of David. And he also says that he was lame, that Mophibosheth was lame. And by the fact that he is lame, it shows that Mophibosheth is not a threat to David. That if David had any conspiracy or any idea of wanting to kill the last remaining people in the house of Saul, he would show mercy to Mophibosheth because he was a f- the son of Jonathan, his friend, 
as well as no threat to him, a lame boy. Well, let's see what happens and whether Ziba's fears are realized. So when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down and paid him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mophibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now, I would presume that if I was in Mophibosheth's shoes, that I would not expect good things to happen from this meeting. Because I would come from the house of Saul and I would have seen my grandfather and the way that my grandfather would have acted would be to kill off his rivals like David. And I would fear, I'll be trembling with fear that maybe that's what David wants to do with me. He wants to kill me off because I'm the last of the line of Saul who will be a threat to him. But David says, don't be afraid. I will surely, I will definitely, emphatically and absolutely not harm you. And he cannot harm Mophibosheth because he is bound by his covenant promise to show kindness to the line of Saul and Dave and Jonathan. And he says two things to Mophibosheth. All the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, will be given to you. Not the whole land as king, but the land that rightfully belongs to his family will be given to him. And the second thing is that he would always eat at David's table. Now this is a very big deal and we'll come to this later on. But two of these things are really quite extraordinary. That he would give all the land that belonged to Saul and also invite him to sit at his very table and treat him as family. Now, the kindness of David seems almost too much for Mephibosheth, isn't it? Because he says, why should you notice a dead dog like me? Now, why does he use that phrase, a dead dog like me? Now, I think it's quite similar to the phrase, you know, someone that says, nobody ever kicks a, a dead dog, or no one flogs a dead horse. I think it's because a dead dog and a dead horse are like totally insignificant, totally irrelevant, that no one even bothers. I mean, why would you kick a dead dog? It's already dead. And in a way, that's the way that Mophibosheth sees himself. He's the, he's the enemy of King David. He comes from a line which has tried to King David, to, to kill King David for decades. He himself is lame. It's almost asking, how can this be? Is this really true? Why would the king show me such kindness? But David goes even beyond his promises because in verse 9 he says, and then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's Jew, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your, your grand, master's grandson may be provided for. And Mophibosheth, the grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. See, this is even going beyond what David promised, right? So Ziba was doubtful to begin with. 
But David promised that he returned the land, that the Mophibosheth could always eat at the table, but notice even more is being piled on. That not only does Ziba get his land, but he gets 35 people as his labor force. He gets 15 sons and the 20 servants of Ziba. That the provision of kindness, of the Hesed kindness of God seen through David actually sees Ziba giving his whole family as servants to serve Mophibosheth. But I think that something much more important keeps being referred to over and over again. So if you look up here on the slide, uh, you'll notice that David keeps saying that Mophibosheth can always eat at my table. He can always eat at my table. And indeed, Mophibosheth always eats at the king's table. Now, out of 13 verses, four times we're told about this eating at the table. Why is that? Is it because Mophibosheth has a really big appetite? Right? Why are we told this all the time? Well, I think it's because what is really being said here is that Mophibosheth is not just eating at the table, but he is accepted as part of the family, as an insider to David's family. Now, I want just to think for a moment and reflect on this act of kindness by David. See, it's one thing to buy a packet of tissues, right? It's another thing to give all this land back to Mophibosheth. And on top of that, give him servants as well, but to actually welcome Welcome the grandson of your enemy as a member of your own family takes extraordinary kindness. Think of your own self. Do you regard yourself as a particularly kind person? Do you think you're a kind person? What is the last act of kindness that you've done to someone? Apart from the tissue paper and the busker at the MRT, What is the greatest act of kindness that you've done to someone? And would it even come close to adopting someone into your family for every meal? Now that's really extraordinary, but in verse 13, it seems to show us the contradiction of what is happening here. So if you look at verse 13, the the last slide, the last verse, it tells us again, almost you know, repeatedly and, 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 and like, you know, what's the point? Yeah, okay, he was lame in both feet. But haven't we really heard this right from the very beginning in verse 3? Why does he repeat this? It's like, has the writer forgotten that he's told, told us that he's lame in both feet? No, I don't think that's the case, isn't it? It's because what the Bible is trying to do is to contrast the extraordinary and unexpected grace and kindness that has been shown to Mophibosheth. That here's a boy who's grown up, who was lame in both feet, an enemy of King David, who now sits always at his table. It's a bit like looking at verse 13 as an oxymoron. You know, something that doesn't make sense. It's like black-white, or loud silence, or empty full. It just, how can you have the lame grandson of your greatest enemy always be sitting at your table as part of your family. It is something that boggles and baffles the mind. In the ancient world, this would baffle people reading it, and in the modern world, it would also make us completely shocked. It just doesn't make sense at all. But I think this is the reaction that we're meant to have, the the sense of astonishment 
the sense of awe and wonder. Because as we look at God's kindness seen in David, it actually points forward to our own kindness, the headset kindness that we've received from God in Jesus Christ. Because this picture of Mophibosheth mirrors exactly what happens to us when we are saved by Jesus Christ and brought into the kingdom of God. So three key passages in the Bible are Romans chapter 5, Titus 3, and Ephesians 2. So let me read them to you. Okay, next slide. You see, at just the right time, we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In Titus chapter 3 it says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And again in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, can you see the parallels between Mophibosheth and David and ourselves And God, we were all enemies of God, deserving of judgment. We were like dead dogs before God. But God in His kindness, instead of making us and leaving us as enemies, has now called us to be His family because He saved us just as He showed kindness to Mephibosheth. But even so, I think David's picture of kindness is imperfect, right? It's like a poor photocopy. It's like a faded photograph. Because it is not just a king which shows us this kindness, it is God, the creator, the maker of this world, the sustainer of all these things in the universe that calls us to be part of his family for eternity. So think for a moment the most powerful or the most prominent king in the world today. Maybe the king of England. I mean, that's the only one I can think of, right? The king of England. Or the mo- no, the queen of England. I don't know, are there any more kings in this world? But anyway, you get the picture, right? Imagine the, the Queen of England 
welcomes you, a mere Singaporean, to be part of the family and sit in Buckingham Palace to always eat there. But you might get a bit sick of the food after a while. But, right, imagine that somehow this is visited upon you, this kindness. Well, for those of us in this congregation who say, wow, that's really great, isn't it? What a great kindness to you. But imagine if you uh, happen to be a member of Al-Qaeda or IS, ISIS, and you are a terrorist group mem- member and you've been trying to kill the members of the royal family in England for decades and, and your family members have been trying to kill them for decades. Well, that would be totally unbelievable that the Queen of England would want you to always be eating at every meal at her table as your family. Well, that's exactly what God has done. My God has rescued us even though we are like terrorists to Him. We have been fighting and rebelling against Him. Our sins have put up His Son on the cross. Our family members, well, they have been rebelling against Him all the way back to Adam. But yet God, in His kindness, has called us to be part of His family. So what should be our response be? Well, as we look at this passage and we we see what it points to in Jesus Christ, it must be a response of a feeling, an emotion of awe and wonder and thankfulness and marveling. You know, at the end of many sermons, you often hear the pastor saying, what should we do today? You know, what have we learned today? Okay, these are the 10 steps that you have to take or the three commands. What should you do as a result of today's passage? Well, the answer is we don't need to do anything. The only thing that we really need to do is to really feel wonder and awe at what God has given us, what kindness God has shown us, that we were once enemies and now we are His family. Now, if you don't feel that awe, if you don't feel that wonder, if you don't feel that sense of disbelief, then it's because you have not really even grasped even a tiny measure of what God's kindness has shown you when He sent Jesus to die for you on the cross. If you look at Mofibosheth and you think, well, that's quite extraordinary kindness, then the kindness that we, each and every one of us here today as Christians has received from God and Jesus Christ far, far outweighs what David showed Mofibosheth. And we should really be filled with wonder and thankfulness for the kindness God has shown us. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray we may take a moment out from our hectic world, from the distractions and the things which cloud our thinking and distract us from what is really such a singularly remarkable and unbelievable act that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Help us to just step back for a moment and to contemplate your kindness towards us. That though we were deserving of wrath, though we were like terrorists and enemies before you, you sent Jesus to take away our sins so that those who were once enemies can now be part of your family. 
Dear Father, as we reflect on 2 Samuel chapter 9, help us to see that the kindness that David showed Mephibosheth is just a tiny, imperfect reflection of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And help us to be filled, really filled in our hearts with wonder, with awe, with joy and thankfulness for this kindness that you've shown us. Not just for today, but forevermore. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.